because everyone is kind of building a brand, uh, uh, whether it be a personal brand or if they're an entrepreneur, they're building some sort of uh, company brand because you can't exist in the world without developing some sort of presence in people's heads. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesome Inc.'s podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this episode of Awesome Inc.'s podcast. This is the first time I've ever done this over a Zoom recording, so I'm pretty pretty ecstatic. I'm sitting down with a good friend, Adam Brown, who runs Marrow here in Lexington, Kentucky. Really excited for what you guys are going to hear from him. And he's a stellar dude with some amazing flow. If you haven't checked out his hair, you're, you're missing out. So Adam, thanks again for working out these kinks and meeting me virtually. Uh, I currently have a background from M Mario from the Nintendo 64. I know it made you smile. So I'm glad that today is already starting off well. Yeah, man, I tell you what, uh, the mid-1990s, they, uh, they were a trip, and, and a lot of that is thanks to Mario 64, so <laughs> I'm happy to see it uh, come back to life again. Well, good. Well, hey, let's go ahead and just dive in. I want, I want the next little bit to really highlight all that you're doing in your background, because you, you're really impressive, and you've been an, a staple in our community over the last, last couple of months. So Adam, want to get to know you a little bit. I'm not sure if everyone who's listening has met you or at least have had the privilege to. So can you tell us what's a bit of your background? What's a little bit of your story? And is there any specific early entrepreneurial memory that comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I love answering this question because I've got a really uh, unconventional background uh, to getting into to marketing and, and design and branding. Um, I actually went to a small private liberal arts college about 45 minutes south of Lexington uh, called Center College. Uh, majored in dramatic arts and anthropology. Uh, of course, you know, liberal arts colleges, they don't have marketing majors. They don't have accounting majors. They don't have graphic design majors. And uh, so I was doing a lot of uh, uh, directing uh, in, my, in my theater program. And uh, as I was directing all of these shows, I needed someone to do the publicity for them and to actually get people to come see all the hard work that uh, uh, me and uh, a whole bunch of other fantastic creatives had put together. And uh, with no marketing no marketing uh, department, no real graphic design department. I just took that on myself and uh, basically discovered that I enjoyed creating the publicity and the marketing strategy for the, the plays more than I enjoyed directing the plays themselves. And uh, so it worked out really well, you know, with, with uh, two, two majors in anthropology and dramatic arts, I was basically suited to be a contestant on Jeopardy and that didn't work out. Uh, so uh, it, it turns out I, branding was, was where, I, where I landed. Um, Worked in the, the college's communications office for a bit and in the admissions office as their uh, resident graphic designer at Center, and then got picked up by Transylvania University as the lead designer when they underwent their uh, big brand redesign a few years ago. Uh, so worked with a really intelligent uh, woman named Michelle Gaither-Sparks uh, to, to lead that through its... Um, through its burgeoning, if you will. And uh, from there, started working at a, a local graphic design agency called Shatterbox. I was the art director there for a couple of years and then uh, got to a point where I recognized that uh, the growth that I wanted to experience was um, was only going to be met by by taking the big leap of, of starting my own agency. And uh, so in 2018, uh, launched Mero with a few other people. And uh, here we are today uh, doing the good work 
at an even higher level than I was doing 10 years ago. So that's the story. Wow. That's exciting. Thanks for giving us the the quick recap. I love that. You hit a lot of your story, which we're going to dive into. And, you know, funny enough, uh, something that we're going to talk about, especially with your company is, is that you care and you really value people. And even as I was preparing for this, thinking of good talking points to cover with you, our, even though we we met through some mutual friends with Awesome Inc. And I think it was at Fiverr Cross where we officially shook one another's hand. We're like, hey, I'm Gary. I'm Adam. Nice to meet you. Uh, I remember when I was driving from church a couple a couple weeks ago, going to lunch Oh my God, I know parents. this story. Yeah, I know the story I, you're going to tell. I just <laughs> popped out of my car window and I was like, Adam, you know, screaming at you, you jumped. And what what a great way to uh, to to really, that, I think that really sparked our friendship. And the reason I bring that is because that's what you do with companies that you work with and the startups you work with. You help give them attention. You help identify their value. And what, what better way to start a friendship? You know, I, I valued you enough that I scared, scared you to death on, on Broadway downtown. And Well, it wasn't you know, so much I, scared, maybe isn't the right word. Uh, startled, confused, uh, flabbergasted, flummoxed. More. I mean, <laughs> there's lots of big $10 words we can use to describe the sentiment I had. Scared wasn't one of them. I was walking uh, with my wife and uh, uh, we both looked at each other and asked, who was that? Because neither of us knew. It took me a couple minutes to to go through my uh, my mental Rolodex and pick your card from the bunch and go, oh my God, it was Garrett. I know this guy. <laughs> Such a such a good trait. You know, I got to be be honest. I do that probably too often. Uh, I get excited. And I'll just, just roll, yell at people as I'm, I'm rolling past them. But anyways, that's uh, that's probably what sparked our friendship in my mind. Then we've talked a couple of times at startup breakfast and other local events. And, you know, with that being said, can you share specifically what your company Mero is and what they do? Because I know that entails some of your work. Yeah, absolutely. So Marrow is a brand design agency for challenger brands and startups. Um, we could probably pick that apart just a little bit if we've got the time to do so. Um, so a lot of agencies that do similar work to what I do, they call themselves branding agencies. The problem with with the term branding agency, uh, at least from my perspective, is that everyone seems to think they have a good idea for what branding is, but oftentimes... Uh, all those opinions are very disparate. They're very different from one another. Um, brand design, uh, for me, means that there's something intentional about the process. It's not, let's throw a logo, a brochure, and a website together and call it a day. Um, because everyone is kind of building a brand, uh, uh, whether it be a personal brand or if they're an entrepreneur, they're building some sort of uh, company brand. Because you can't exist in the world without developing some sort of presence in people's heads. Um, and if you aren't, then... you you're really not doing any type of good work in the world to begin with, uh, or at least impactful work. Um, so brand design is really about the intentional process of trying to figure out what it is you want to say, who it is you are, uh, and then executing on that through different deliverables. And those do include websites, brochures, logos, et cetera. And then challenger brands and startups, everyone kind of has a good idea for what a startup is. Uh, challenger brand, this is actually, this is, Challenger brands are more widely recognized these days, but the actual term was coined by a guy named Adam Morgan back in the late 90s, I believe. And, and he described challenger brands as possessing three different characteristics. One, a challenger brand is not the market leader uh, uh, in its category. 
Uh, number two, uh, it relies on unconventional methods uh, in order to gain attention because, you know, uh, when you're competing against a market leader, they have a disproportionately larger share of voice. But uh, in order to attract your share of voice as a uh, challenger brand, you technically have to spend more of your portion of wealth in order to do that. Uh, so you've got to be a little bit unconventional. And then third, uh, challenger brands are typically on a trajectory of, of pretty intense growth. Um, they're not looking to stay stagnant. They're not happy with their status quo. They are, they are entering uh, or are already in a pretty significant growth trajectory. So that's what Marrow does. You gave us yeah, the whole spiel. I was going to say, I know that you guys are a brand design firm, uh, like you said, with challengers and startups. And what's really cool, you have a couple slogans. And one that I thought was pretty enticing is that you you guys say you embrace empathy as a strategy. Can you explain that? And I know a little bit that has to do with helping people tell a story, their why. Would you mind talking about that? Yeah, actually, I would. Um, let me let me explain this by taking you through uh, a little bit of a narrative. That'd be um, great. All right. So let's say you are uh, you're you're on the internet. It's the middle of the day, um, and uh, you're you're visiting your your favorite uh, uh, Twitter personality, and they they send you a link to something that they really want you to check out. And as soon as you 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 go you go there, uh, you open up the web page, and immediately uh, you're met with this really great paragraph talking about this incredible information that they're really excited to give you. Uh, and they they talk it up for a few more paragraphs, and you realize that we're we're doing a little bit of uh, search engine optimization at this point. Uh, we're feeding the search bot all the uh, the fun buzzwords that we want them to. To, to recognize us for, and then when we get to the very end and we think, all right, here's, here is the meat of the presentation, you're actually met with a form, uh, wherein if you, if you want the, the goods, all you have to do is just give this guy your, uh, your email address and he'll put it right in your inbox. Um, that's annoying. It's really, really miserable. And it's not empathetic at all because no one... That is that is a trade. And so so one of the things that I tell clients is that when we're talking about empathy, we're talking about the difference between generosity and reciprocity. In the example I just gave you, that's reciprocal. That's a very transactional thing. That is, I've got something that I think you want, but you've got something that's immensely more valuable to me. And that's your email address. That's a direct line of communication into your inbox. And I'm going to make you trade that for whatever I have to give you. Generosity, on the other hand, recognizes that I have something to give, and I'm going to freely give it, and I'm going to make sure that people have access to it because that actually makes the change. And when you when you paywall certain things, when you when you guard against the the free dissemination of information or or any kind of help, that creates a transactional experience. And so when we're talking about empathy, we're really talking about making sure the user experience, uh, whether it be online on a website or in a store uh, or really anywhere for that matter, uh, that is the kind of experience that you would want to experience. No one likes being sold to. People love to buy. Like, don't get me wrong. People really love buying stuff, but they don't like being sold to. Um, and so we try and create uh, an experience with our, our brands that we work with that engenders that kind of relationship between the, the seller and the buyer, if you will. Man, that is... Very cool, very different way than I thought you were going to take that. So thanks for sharing. I really like the 
you said re- reciprocity. So like reciprocating and, and uh, giving, you know, that makes me think of, if you've read the book, Startup Communities, the whole give, give first mentality, give before you get, give without expecting something in return. Like you said, when you give, you help make the change. That's one of the most, I think one of the most rewarding aspects to our Lexington startup ecosystem. We have a lot of people who enjoy giving, not so they can get something necessarily in return. Yes, for business. Yes, for emails. Like that's, that's how you have to function. But just in terms of community events, through contacting, through networking, that's how we help build one another up. And you do a lot with startups. How does, how does um, you know, embracing empathy, excuse me, embracing empathy work well with, with your business? Uh, well, it's, it's, it is basically the way that I, I handle every client interaction. Um, you know, I've, obviously I'm an entrepreneur myself. I understand what those struggles are like. Um, and, and here's the thing to recognize, you know, value is in, is incredibly subjective. The way that this is embodied probably, um, most tangibly at least is, is the way that Mero handles pricing. Um, we, we work on a value-based pricing, uh, system, which basically means that when I start working with a client, instead of asking them, you know, what do they need? And then I give them my hourly rate or, or what have you, we work backwards. We, I try and figure out what it is they're trying to accomplish, right? What is the, the value that, that they need uh, in their business? Uh, and, and what does that look like? Is it uh, more time to, to spend with the family? Like, do they need to automate uh, uh, some, some form of their business? Do they need to uh, create a higher uh, price tag? you know, for their, for their goods and services. What does value look like for them? And then we, we try and figure out, okay, well, how can Marrow help create that value? Um, and that's a lot, a lot of what, what branding is. It's, um, some people refer to it as, as value added. Um, I prefer uh, Rory Sutherland. He's the vice chairman at Ogilvy. Um, he says, it's not value added, it's value extracted. Uh, the value is already there, but trying to find a way to frame it and articulate it is really important. And so, you know, Mero works with with clients to figure out what value they're hoping to create, how Mero can can facilitate that, and then um, you know, Mero works within the 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 budget that the client has to achieve the value they want to create. So uh, if if a let's say you know a, a company comes and they're looking to to generate uh, you know a hundred thousand dollars in uh, additional revenue uh, every year and Mero can figure out a way to do that well then we price uh, uh, proportionate to how much they how much value they want to create and then I go back through and figure out what things Mero can do uh, uh, to create that value for them and that's very different than what a lot of agencies do where they have this one thing, uh, that they execute on really well. Maybe it's a digital marketing uh, uh, strategy or they do logo design or or any number of other uh, deliverables that they can give and they price those and they sell those to clients. Mero, on the other hand, figures out what value the clients want to create and then reverse engineers whatever we can do in order to provide that end result for them. Man, that's great. You said a couple of things that I want to continue following up on and Again, I have some thoughts, some thoughts I want to run by you. One thing that you talked about is value extracting. And uh, I wanted to, to talk about, I know the last handful of years, you have been immersed with, with being in the creative world, helping brands discover their identity. That's something that you're passionate about, something you've, you've stated very well, even during our time together, you know, from things of 
developing brand messaging at Transy as their lead designer, helping social causes, nonprofits, and some, some, some clients through brand design upheaval. Like really, really cool stuff. How have you been able to extract the value from all of those experiences and let, it, uh, like let the rewards come to fruition with, with Mero? It really depends on how you want to view success. Um, you know, framing is is a great way to change whatever reality that you find yourself in. Um, look, I, I could if 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 I choose a metric for success, let's just say you know, uh, Mero needs to be uh, a fifty million dollar a year company. If that's my if that's the way I frame success, uh, then then Mero is by all accounts a complete and total failure. It's not doing uh, at all whatever I had set out for it to do, uh, if that's if that's the metric. But if you look for other intangible uh, uh, metrics for success, you know, uh, is is Mero personally growing year over year, uh, both in terms of its its culture and identity, but also its its revenue? Well, yes, it is. So in that regard, Mero is a success. Is it uh, uh, creating a longer list of clients every year? Yes. So that is a metric for success that that I've chosen uh, uh, for the company. So. In terms of extracting value, it really comes down to defining what value is. And value is incredibly subjective. Um, what may be valuable for me may not be valuable for somebody else. And so when I talk about uh, uh, value-based pricing and working with clients to figure out what they value, that takes the conversation out of my hands. It doesn't matter what I value. It, it, what really matters is what does the client value? And then, like I said, reverse engineer uh, uh, what Mero can do to help them reach those goals. So it's uh, the recognition that value is subjective and that what, what we determine to be the greatest form of value is personal to each individual uh, has, has helped me shape my idea of what's valuable to me and Mero and, and hopefully has helped clients shape what's valuable to them. So, so cool to hear your explanation of that. And, and continuing on with literally where you left off, how do you see your business help strengthen the Kentucky startup community? Here's the thing that I love about founders, uh, uh, particularly startup founders, um, is, is that they are the most optimistic contrarians that the world has to offer. Um, I consider myself a contrarian, uh, uh, but I also consider myself fairly optimistic as well. And it takes a great deal of confidence, like uh, verging on arrogance almost to say, everything in this category sucks and I think I can do it better than anybody else. That is literally the, the modus operandi of every single startup founder is, you know, this is terrible, but I can fix it. And I'm willing to be told, no, 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 I don't like this very much. It's not very good. And still persist uh, uh, to, to create change. Um, so Marrow's role in all of this is to be a challenging uh, force uh, for good within, within other uh, startup companies and, and, and challenger brands. Um, I, I really hope that specifically in this, in this market, you know, Mara works with clients outside the city and outside the, the state of Kentucky as well. Um, but with every client, you know, I, I really challenge them to think about their problems a little bit differently. This kind of goes back to this idea that challenger brands have to uh, utilize unconventional methods in order to, to get their message out. So uh, a good example, I, I work with a uh, craft uh, distillery 
and uh, they they create uh, premium botanical spirits, and they've got a, a line of gin, and it's a Kentucky gin. Um, and when we were going through and trying to figure out, well, what is a Kentucky gin? How do we get you know bourbon land to to put down their their drinks and and pick up you know a martini? How does that work? And you know we went back to framing. Well, what what really is so Kentucky? about bourbon uh and and obviously like <laughs> let's not let's not get too ahead of ourselves like there is something intrinsically very kentuckian about bourbon but we realized that kentucky drinkers it's it's not about uh, uh drinking bourbon that doesn't make them more kentuckian you know kentucky is more than than fried chicken and horses and and bourbon the the hallmark of a kentuckian is enshrined in uh, uh our charter for the state where kentuckians are described as free and independent thinkers and so then we realized okay well how do you how do you convince an entire state that the state drink doesn't have to be bourbon but in fact can be gin well you change the messaging now we're not talking about uh, uh, bourbon being a Kentucky drink. The hallmark of a real Kentuckian is drinking whatever the hell you damn well please, right? That's free and independent thinking. And so instead of just going out to a bar and not knowing what to order, so I guess I'll have a bourbon neat because I've heard that ordered before, I can go out and try something different and not be afraid to embrace a different side of being a Kentuckian, maybe a truer side. Uh, so that's, that's the, the strategy that we've taken with them. And that's an unconventional approach. It's very hard to tell people that drinking bourbon is not the most Kentucky thing you can do at a bar. The most Kentucky thing you can do is order a martini if that's what you want to do, because we're not going to tell you what you should drink. Adam, you keep giving such interesting answers. Like I would have never expected that. So thank you for, for going down that path. One thing wasn't going to bring this up, but I think it's great. You know, you're talking about being a challenger brand, helping startups and honestly, anyone who is a client of yours, helping your clientele utilize unconventional methods. Well, guess what? We are living in such an unconventional time right now with this COVID pandemic. <laughs> yes. What yes. It, these unconventional, yes. these uncertain, these challenging, these difficult times, that's what, these uh, historic times. Every email you've seen oh from God. anyone in the government, that's what you keep seeing. <laughs> Not even the government, though. It's all the marketing messages as well. Like somebody who I ordered like a pair of shoes from three years ago is now telling me how much they care about me and their workers. And I, quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, you can hear <laughs> my voice is now elevated. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to throw some shade. Let's do this. Well, well, well. Yeah, I'd say the opposite of throwing some shade. Would you mind? Oh, really? Yeah. Would you mind shedding some light on on how you guys at Marrow, how your team is rallying together and being creative with everything going on. What, what's, what's some of the secret sauce, so to speak, that you guys are doing that is different than everyone else's unconventional method? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, a couple of things. Um, one, Marrow is in uh, a pretty good financial position to, to weather the COVID-19 storm, uh, if you will. And so where it's been possible, uh, we have spoken with all of our clients and uh, tried to figure out a way to help make sure uh, that they're not being overburdened financially. Um, it does us no good to extract money from clients that may not be in a position to uh, afford their, uh, their monthlies, if you will. Uh, which, by the way, is empathy, right? That's a, a great example of that. Um, 
Another thing, and I have to say, I cannot take credit for this, but I will go back to uh, the Gen client that I, I referenced earlier. Um, they they got hit really hard. They were getting ready to launch uh, a a uh, their product into seventy uh, percent of uh, uh, a particular. I don't know how much I can reveal regarding the the names of all of these things, but there was a grocery store that they were going to release their product into seventy percent of all the the grocery stores within the state. Um, and, and the COVID-19 crisis hit. And, and so they couldn't do that anymore. And so the founders, uh, they had an incredible idea. They decided, well, let's do, let's do a, a gen party, uh, uh, online virtually. And so they're working to set this up with the grocery store chain, uh, where they will, uh, the grocery store will, um, basically provide a shopping cart, uh, already stocked, uh, digitally. So you basically just click to add to your shopping cart. The gin is also added to the shopping cart. And then what they're going to do is broadcast uh, uh, a Zoom. Uh, presumably right now, that's what it'll be. Uh, talking about how to mix drinks effectively, how to bring the the spirit uh, alive, you know, during quarantine and do it all, all digitally. Um, and so we're working with them to help, you know, get that tied up. That's really cool to hear. Again, that goes back to giving and not really respect or not respecting, not receiving anything. So did not know that. But you do get something back though. Don't, that, I mean, that right? is, that's, that that's the true. whole thing about generosity. That's like the big secret of being generous is that really whatever you give away, you tend to get back in some measure. And now I'm not advocating that like brands forgo whatever revenue uh, uh, stream that they need in order to survive. Like there's a difference between being generous and being stupid. Um, but what I am suggesting is when you when you show the kind of generosity, and generosity comes in a lot of different forms. It doesn't have to be giving away something for free. It can just be going above and beyond. It can be embracing the small things uh, uh, to add a little surprise and delight uh, for your your clients or your customers. Um, you know, generosity always, at least in my experience, and 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 I will admit that I'm a fairly privileged person, all things considered. Um, generosity has always come back uh, in some measure in a way that, um, has made my life better and has allowed me to help. Uh, uh, it has allowed me to be more generous for other people in the future. It kind of compounds. Very, very well spoken that I do agree with you. I I was thinking on that comment more so from the standpoint of, Hey, they're providing a cool way to teach about, Hey, here's how I mix drinks. And I see exactly where you're coming from. And I totally agree with you, especially on the part of there's a difference between being generous and being stupid. So I, I still get that. Well, Adam, I, I actually don't know if I asked this earlier, and that's on me. Why the name Marrow? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, why do you think Marrow? What does it conjure for you? I'll do a little bit of brand research here. You're good. Well, I think for Marrow, uh, I think a bone marrow, that's probably the most common thought with, with your brand, but also Marrow is very important. Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, so you're 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 pulling the Webster's dictionary uh, out and, and giving some good definitions and and congratulations. That's exactly where you should have started because that's where I did. <laughs> um, so, marrow has a couple different definitions. One, you're right, uh, bone marrow, um, and and bone marrow is is actually a significant site of blood cell production uh, in the body, and so the way that uh, I I metaphorically conceptualize this is, you know, not all companies are brands, right? Um, 
you've got some good businesses and you've got good companies, but not all of them really exude a kind of uh, uh, brand element. They don't have that culture. They don't have that blood flowing through them, that life. And so marrow, uh, in effect, is, is the site of, of blood production, life production, culture production, if you will, for companies. You know, um, uh, early on, uh, we toyed with the, the idea of describing Marrow as a place where, um, you know, businesses become brands and brands become movements. Um, and that was in direct response to this idea that, that Marrow is the site of, of blood cell production and, and, and life. Also, uh, you've got the, the definition of, of Marrow as being somewhat essential and courageous, uh, you, you've maybe heard the expression, it really got to the marrow of him, uh, when he was making a big decision or something of, of that nature. And so, uh, from the perspective of being courageous, you know, marrow is, is, is a part of that as well. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's a, it's a very short, easy word. Uh, it's, it's easy to remember. Uh, and, and because of that, you know, it's, it's got some sticking power. You don't want to come up with a name that's just completely absurd or, or ridiculous because as much as that might grab some attention, it's not easy to recall if there's no hook in it. And so Marrow has both that hook, it's short, it's easy to remember, and there's already some familiarity. Um, and that's, that's the story behind the name Marrow. That was great. I have nothing to add. That was, that was cool to learn the backstory. <laughs> so I think that's, that's impactful. It makes a ton of sense why you guys went with that name. So Adam, we, we're going to, we're going to ask, we're, we're going to discuss my favorite question that I get to ask anyone I get to sit down with and have the privilege to talk to. What's, what's one piece of wisdom, you know, now that you wish you could tell your younger, your younger self as you started Marrow, as you started any of your previous entrepreneurial ventures. And I ask that for the people who are listening, who are either a timid and hoping to start some adventure B are fresh and they're, they're running, their wheels are spinning. They're so excited about what they're doing or C someone who's been in the game for a while and maybe they're, they're finding some plateau. They're getting complacent and they need a little, little kick in the pants, so to speak. That is a great question. And I'm going to give you a very unconventional answer. Perfect. Um, I would say quit. Don't please don't do this. It's incredibly hard. It's very difficult. You will struggle. You will sacrifice. And uh, there will probably come a point in time where you recognize that it is not worth it at all. Um, I would much rather people confront the danger of starting something new early and be discouraged. Because if you can't get past that initial discouragement, if you can't get past the hypothetical that this will fail, if you can't embrace the fact that this is very likely going to fail, whatever new endeavor that you you pursue, um, you're you're not going to make it past the first two or three you know uh, uh, faults that you that you run into. Um, you know what's the what's the statistic? Like most most businesses don't make it past their fifth year. What is that? Yeah. It's like half five years, like 60 percent, and then of the remaining percent, it's upwards of like seventy five ninety. Don't make it past year ten. Yeah, so that's I mean that's it. The odds of of this whatever this is for you working out, they are incredibly low. So you damn well better be sure that you can hold out through the hard times. And if you can't get past the thought experiment of what happens if this fails because it's almost certainly going to fail, then you shouldn't start to begin with. 
when I talk about contrarian optimists. Like it's it's not enough just to be contrarian. It's not just enough to be optimistic. Uh, you've you've got to have both of those things and be be willing to get through the storm. So yeah, no, I would tell people to quit before they get started 100 um, <laughs> percent because odds are good they're going to fail anyway. And you've got to find someone with the tenacity to to stick with it through the long haul. Makes sense. Uh, heard heard a quote from a podcast I was listening to that you don't you don't create leaders you find leaders and people who are mm-hmm. already hungry, who are already out there, they're going to show up. Absolutely. Well, Adam, I'm going to go have some lunch. If we were together, I'd, uh, I'd offer to buy you yours, but you know, you're in your house, your beautiful home. That's clean. I'm, I'm hanging out with Mario over here. So I'm going to pop off, but Hey, thank you so much for your time. It was so enjoyable to catch up with you and see your smiling face and see a friend. And again, thank you for all the wisdom, sharing your story and letting us know why you are making a significant impact on our Kentucky startup community. Yeah, my pleasure, Garrett. Let's do it again soon. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in this show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in. And let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.